right, a Russian couple um, were living in a house, little hut, with um, two of their children when uh, their when his parents uh, lost their home and were forced to come and to uh, move in with them. The uh, little small house was crowded, and everybody in the home was miserable. Uh, they were on top of each other, and um, they just were absolutely, the circumstances were just about uh, unbearable. And the wife, she went to the village wise man and told him the situation and asked him, said, um, what do we do? What, 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 what should we do? How can I uh, cope with this? How can I uh, learn to handle this? And he told her, uh, go home and take your dog and bring your dog into the house with you and come back in a week. So she goes home and takes the dog in the house and they continue to live. A week later, uh, she comes back and tells him, as you might imagine, it's even worse. Uh, now we got all these people and the dog. And says, what do I do? So the wise man tells her, he says, go home, move all your chickens in the house. She says, okay. She goes home and she moves the chickens in the house. A week later, she comes back, and you pretty much know her, uh, what she said to the wise man. She said, it's even worse. So when he, she tells him that, he says, go home, move your goat in the house. She goes home, brings the goat in the house. So now they've got the six people, the dog, the chickens, and the goat. A week later, she comes back, and she says, no, it's even worse. This is terrible. He says, go home, bring the cow in the house, and come back in a week. So she does what he says. He is the village wise man. She comes back in a week, and he says, she tells him, says, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> it's, you know, it's way worse. It's absolutely unbearable. He tells her, go home, put all the animals in the yard, and come back in a week. She comes back in a week. She says, whew, that's much better. Uh, things are much better at the house. Things weren't really any different than they were to start with, right? Just perspective had changed. Uh, contentment is an interesting thing. Uh, what um, we can be uh, content with. I remember, and I don't remember the show one time, uh, uh, there was a fellow who said uh, something was going on. He says, but I've gotten used to it. And he says, but it's amazing what the human body can get used to. Uh, and that's uh, the issue. Uh, we live in a very uh, discontented world. Uh, not a word, discontent is not a word I use very often, but I do know what it means and I do uh, see it happening uh, all around me uh, that uh, people are uh, discontent. Uh, they are unhappy. Uh, we are, um, whether we're, um, you know, unhappy uh, with politics, we're unhappy with uh, the price of gas, we're unhappy with work, uh, we're unhappy uh, with the weather. Um, you know, it rains and we wish it would, uh, the sun would come out, the sun would come out and we pray for rain. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, amazing uh, how um, unhappy uh, many people are. 
Uh, and most of those things that uh, people are unhappy about, honestly, um, to tell the truth, are, are honestly not really all that important. Uh, you know, and, and again, most of them we can't really do very much uh, about. We can't really uh, change them. We can gripe about the rain all we want to, but there's really nothing we can do uh, but come in out of the rain. Uh, you know, and so there, there's not a lot. But there are some things that uh, people are uh, discontent about. There are a lot of people who are very discontent uh, in their home, in their marriage, in their family. Uh, there are a lot of people who are uh, discontent about uh, some very uh, real issues. Uh, and this morning, I, I want us, we're going to look at, uh, at Paul. Uh, again, we've talked about now uh, through all four chapters uh, that uh, Paul. One of the overarching themes of the book of Philippians is peace. Uh, Paul is writing so that uh, his uh, believers uh, would enjoy peace. And uh, we're going to, this morning, look at uh, two verses and uh, talk about for a moment four things uh, here, the, the content of contentment. What is contentment made up of? Uh, what, what exactly does it take uh, to be uh, content. And uh, again, it's, uh, it's a challenge uh, in our society. But I want to remind you again, and I've uh, said this uh, several times now, uh, about uh, this letter. Never forget when you read the book of Philippians that Paul wrote uh, what we're about to re read, what we're about to talk about here, uh, when it comes to contentment, Paul wrote from prison. Uh, Paul wrote uh, not just from prison, uh, but in all likelihood of convicted, Paul wrote from prison with a death sentence. Uh, he was going to be executed uh, for preaching the gospel in, in all likelihood. Uh, was what he was uh, facing. And in that, uh, he writes those words here uh, in, in the fourth chapter that I have learned that in whatever situation I find myself to be content. Uh, it, uh, again, Paul... Uh, you know, it's one thing uh, for someone who is sitting, uh, you know, laying on a feather mattress eating grapes with uh, somebody fanning them with palm leaves to talk about contentment. Uh, Paul was not uh, in that setting. Paul was in a, uh, again, in a desperate situation. Uh, at any moment, at the whim uh, of Caesar, Paul uh, could have been executed. And he knew it and everyone else knew it. And yet he's telling uh, the Philippians church uh, how to be content. Uh, again, remind you a little bit more of the setting of, uh, of the letter uh, of Philippians. Uh, Paul is part of the purpose of the writing of Philippians uh, is that uh, the Philippians have sent, they have taken up an offering uh, and sent it by Epaphroditus uh, to Paul. Uh, again, in that day, uh, the way the, the prison system worked, uh, all, that, uh, all that Rome provided was a sale. Uh, they didn't provide food. They didn't, you know, they didn't, if you, you know, anything you got, somebody had to provide for you. Uh, and so the Philippian church has taken up an offering uh, and sent it to Paul, and he's writing to thank them. Uh, for that. Uh, and so he's going to be, uh, again, thanking them for that and telling them, uh, again, about uh, what he has learned uh, about contentment, which uh, brings me, first of all, uh, to the first point. Look, if you will, uh, in the book of Philippians uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 10, 
when Paul writes these words. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. What he's talking about there when he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, uh, was because they had thought of him, and you'll see that more clearly in, uh, in these verses. They had thought of him and, uh, and sent him this offering, sent Epaphroditus uh, to be with him and to comfort him. That now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Key word in this verse. Uh, the key word for us uh, in verse 10 is the word again. Now I realize that may seem like a, a relatively insignificant word, uh, but it is uh, an important word uh, in that verse. Uh, Paul says, you have thought of me again, which means that uh, they, had, um, they had for some reason uh, in the past they had been helping to take care uh, of Paul. Uh, you see here, he says, you, uh, again, you've taken care of me, wherein you were careful, but you lacked opportunity. Uh, in other words, for some reason, we don't know why, uh, maybe... Uh, their money was short, maybe due to persecution in Philippi. Uh, maybe they just wasn't thinking about it. Whatever reason, for some reason, uh, they haven't been giving uh, to Paul. Uh, but now they have decided that once again, they're going to be uh, supporting uh, Paul. Uh, they're going to send him uh, this offering. And that's one of the reasons that Paul uh, writes this letter is to thank them uh, for that offering and to thank them uh, for remembering him uh, and sending uh, this offering uh, to him. And so when Paul says again, uh, they have uh, again remembered him. He, he says, it's uh, come back to your mind or come back uh, to your uh, uh, ability uh, to, to help me. But, but here's the point uh, that, that I think is being made, is that uh, the church at Philippi, for, for whatever reason, if you read that last line, it says you've lacked opportunity. Um, I think the problem was probably either they didn't have anybody to bring the money or they themselves didn't have the money. But they didn't have uh, the opportunity uh, to help Paul. But he, uh, to quote the old uh, country song, or I don't know, country rock, but they, he was always on their mind. He was always, they were always thinking uh, about uh, Paul. When he says here, uh, again, it's the idea of revived. It has blossomed again. Uh, I have come to your attention uh, again, and you are uh, thinking uh, about me. And, and so Paul is wanting to be careful and, and, and not think that he's chastising them uh, for not giving in the past. But you know, uh, you, you say it would have been real easy for when they read that for it to sound like when Paul says, "I sure am glad you thought of sending me some money again." Yeah, that, that, that's the way it could have been taken. But no, Paul wanted to be sure that they understood uh, that he knew all along uh, that they were uh, concerned about him, that they were thinking about him, uh, that they had him uh, on uh, their mind, uh, that he was, that they were again. 
considering him uh, all along. Maybe it's because Paul has been moving around Asia. Maybe because, uh, again, he's been in prison and they've been uh, moving him around. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, some reason, they had not uh, been sending uh, that offering. But Paul knew in his heart he was on their mind. He knew that they still loved him. Uh, the first key uh, to contentment is that unshakable conviction. That unshakable conviction that God has not forgotten you. That God has not abandoned you. More importantly for Paul than to understand and to believe that he had always been on the Philippians' mind, what Paul knew was that God had not abandoned him. Was that he may be in prison, uh, but and he didn't know if it was going to come from the Philippian church, or if he didn't know if an angel himself was going to descend from heaven, but Paul knew that he was going to be taken care of by his God. He knew. Now, that doesn't mean that there was, again, you, you, I can't paint this picture and paint the prison out of the picture. I can't paint the sail out. I, I can't paint the dungeon. I can't paint the bars. I can't paint the guards out of this picture. They're part of the story. They're, they're an unshakable part uh, of the story. Paul was in prison. I can't clean that up. I can't remove it. Paul didn't try to. Paul didn't remove it. Paul says, even while I am in prison, I know that I am cared for. You cared for me. God cared for me. Paul, if you remember, was the writer of these words when he said, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things uh, present nor things to come nor height nor depth, any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Listen, the foundational truth to, to living uh, in contentment, the, 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 what everything else is built on, is this truth, is that we believe that our God is a good, kind, compassionate God. See, the world and Satan would have you to think otherwise. The world would have you to believe that God is a wicked and evil God. I, I mentioned a moment ago uh, the, uh, um, to pray for uh, Dean Hunter. Uh, Dean again, pastor at Central. His mother passed away this week. And, and he stood last night uh, and, and preached the funeral of his own mother. And, and, and one of the things he talked about was, listen, God, even in circumstances like this, I know that God still loves us. Listen, we go through situations and circumstances in our life. I'd like to tell you, you know, I hear people and, and it kind of makes my skin crawl a little bit because I, I, I know what people, I know what we mean by it, but I'm afraid of what people hear. When we say things like, well, if you'll just come to church, everything will be okay. Or if you'll just get saved, everything will be all right. And I know what we mean when we say it. 
but I'm afraid of what people hear and then what they actually experience. Because the reality is bad things happen to good people. Paul was in prison. Paul is going to end up being executed for his faith eventually. Historians tell us that the 11 remaining disciples outside of Judas, every one of them was executed in some horrible way for their faith, for preaching the gospel. Good people suffer. Now, I don't expect to get a book deal saying that. I know I could go on television with some of the other guys and talk about how everything's going to be great, everything's going to be good, everything's coming up roses. But the truth is, bad things happen to good people. But contentment comes from an unshakable conviction that even in the midst of bad things, God is still on the throne. I'm not telling you that that isn't sometimes challenged. I'm not telling you I, I've got a some kind of distant cousin. I I wouldn't know him if he walked in the door. Uh, you know that. that but it, he lives in somewhere in California, or he did. I guess he still does. I don't even know if he's still living, to be honest. Um, I, again, I, I, I don't. You know, I just know that somehow we're related. But I do remember one time years ago being around him and hearing him talk about being in California and the earthquakes. And he said, you'd be out mowing the yard, and all of a sudden the ground underneath your feet turns to jello. Yeah. The next thing my feet would turn to would be the California border. Yeah. My feet would turn east <laughs> and, and, you know, and hit the road. Yeah. I don't know where it would end, but me and I-40 would be friends. Yeah, I had a friend up in Michigan one time, pastor friend, who was talking about how much snow they had. And I said, I might have to stay, but sooner or later it'll fall, and I wouldn't be there the next time. Yeah. You might have got me this time with that much snow and ice, but I'll be hearing about it on the news the next time. Listen, sometimes in life, the ground underneath us turns to jelly. It seems like everything around us is falling apart. And there's nothing we can grab onto and hold on to. Sometimes it's the death of a loved one. Sometimes it's sickness. Sometimes it's loss of a job. Those things come and go. And, and, and again, you know, that, that, that may be the best way I know to describe them. It is the ground under you just turns to jello. You feel like you have no solid ground to stand on. Solid ground that Paul was standing on. When it seemed like for a while nobody supported him and nobody loved him, nobody was helping him, nobody cared, before Epaphroditus showed up, before the offering showed up, he said, they may not come, the offering may not come, I may die in this jail cell, but God is still on the throne. An unshakable 
conviction. This is the man who would write for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. This is the man who said, you may kill me, but you won't end me. Contentment begins there. That unshakable conviction that God cares. Paul says, I didn't know how, but I knew some way, somehow, my God is going to take care of me. An unshakable conviction. second thing that Paul is going to talk about is an unnatural revolution. See, I want to tell you something. Some of you are sitting there, I know this. I've been doing this a long time now. I know some of you are sitting right here in this room. Some of you are watching online going, you're nuts. i got news for you. You're not the first person to say that. Probably won't be the last. I know that the foundation to contentment is an unshakable conviction. But I also know that it is an unnatural revolution. Look what Paul says. He says, not that I, in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. What do you learn? Not a trick question. What is it you learn? You can only learn something, what? That you don't already have, right? When we talk about a child learning to walk, they're learning something they didn't previously know how to do. When you learn to write, you're learning, you're, you're getting a skill you didn't have in the past, correct? You with me? And so if Paul says here that I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content, what does that tell you? That Paul did not previously know how to be content. He had to learn to be content. How did Paul learn to be content? Paul learned to be content by seeing the fact that, that what, again, started with that unshakable conviction. How did Paul learn to be content? Well, he learned to be content when he learned that conviction. You know why I'm willing to walk all over this stage? Because I watched it being constructed. I saw how it's put together. I have been up here before. And I have walked around, and while in places it squeaks, it holds me. Now, I'll be very perfectly honest with you. The first time or two, I went up and down these steps. I was not real happy. If you've been up or down, you know what I'm talking about. But over time, 
Now, you may watch me going off from gingerly, but that's got more to do with my back curtain than it does. Over time, I've got to where I just go up and down the steps. I don't think anything about them. Why? Because I have learned that they'll hold me. Paul says, I have learned contentment. Folks, contentment is not something that we come natural. That's not, uh, what do they call it in a car? Um, that's not stock equipment. That's one of them options that they charge extra for. Yeah, of course, that's an unfair comparison because at the car lot, they charge extra for tires. They call them optional. Yeah. You want a spare tire? Yeah, well, that's optional. No, that's not optional. You want a steering wheel? Yeah, that's optional. No, that's not optional. Contentment is optional. Optional is not something that just comes natural to us. Contentment is something we learn through life. Debbie gave a perfect example a moment ago. When she said, when she was speaking a moment ago, and said, Melissa reminded her, and said, look back uh, to when our father died. While it was uncomfortable, while it's still not a great memory, not, but what you did learn just a little bit more than you knew before that was that God is always present, even in the valley of the shadow of death. Contentment is something that we learn experience by experience, day by day. That's why I think it's important at the end of the day for each one of us to sit down. And I'm not telling you to journal because I don't journal because if I did, I couldn't read it tomorrow. Y'all saw me trying all ago to read my prayer list that I wrote ten minutes ago. I'm not a journaler because I'm not a writer. But I, some way or another, at the end of the day, or beginning of the day, or sometime during the day, to take just a moment and reflect back. And as the words of the old song goes, count your blessings. Name them one by one. And you know what you'll learn? You'll learn contentment. You'll learn that God says, when my father and my mother, they forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. You'll learn that God said, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for His rod and staff. They comfort me. You learn when you go through that He says, I want you to have peace, and peace that passes all understanding. That's not natural. You learn that day by day by walking step by step with God, by going through those experiences and learning. Paul says, I've learned contentment. It wasn't something I had, but I've learned that in whatever state I am, whatever I find myself in, to be content. This would be a real good place to slow down and talk for a moment about what it exactly means to be content. 
What does that word Paul use mean? <clears throat> Stick with me, because if you if you go to sleep on me halfway through this explanation, you're gonna get you're gonna leave here messed up. Okay? You go to sleep when I get done. I won't like it, but at least you won't be so confused. If you go to sleep halfway through me explaining contentment, you're going to have trouble. The word that Paul used for contentment was a word that the Stoics, the philosophers of that day, used to mean self-sufficient. I hope right off you go, hmm, that don't sound right. That's why I didn't want you to go to sleep halfway through the definition. It means, again, help self-sufficient, detached from your circumstances. And, again, the Stoics, who were one of the major philosophers, or a lot of, a lot of philosophizers, I'm not even sure that's a word, uh, during Paul's day, they, they believed that reaching contentment, from, this, this is my illustration this is what I think of when I think of contentment, and I can't get down there and do it or I'd do it for you. You ever seen them people that sit down what I call Indian style? Yeah. I might could get down there, but y'all have to call a rescue squad to get me up, okay? I can't get down there, though. Who sit down there Indian style and go, hmm, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I think of when I, when I think of contentment, when I think of that definition is people who have come to the place where all the people and things around them, they just zone them out. Hmm. I can do the hum part, but I can't do the get down there Indian style part. They have to let me set my lazy boy go, hmm, if I'm going to be in that church. But to be detached from all those things... And, and here's where, where the definition really, where the Stoics, that man should be sufficient, self-sufficient in all things. That's where their definition goes, off into a ditch. Paul was taking that word and spiritualizing that word and saying this, that contentment is being detached from all those things. My joy, my happiness, my peace does not come from a paycheck, does not come from health, does not come from fame, does not come from fortune, doesn't come from whether you like me or not, doesn't come from what kind of car I drive, doesn't come from what position I hold in the company, doesn't come from how big my office is, doesn't come from how much my stock portfolio goes up or down. My contentment comes from the grace and the mercy of God. That's what Paul means when he's talking about detached. I love this, this definition. I don't know who said this the first time. But he said believers ought to be thermostats, not thermometers. You know what that means? A thermometer goes up and down with the temperature of the room. A thermostat controls the temperature of the room. And as believers, our contentment should control the temperature of the room. 
What others are doing or not doing, what we have or don't have, shouldn't be twisting our dials and running our temperature up or down. Paul says, I've learned that through experience. That my God is faithful. That my God is true. That I can always count on Him. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are Christ-sufficient, not self-sufficient. And you can be content. Paul says, I've, I've learned that in my life. I've learned that through experience. I want to read this to you. Layman Strauss wrote, he says, In the early days of my Christian experience, I I could not see how some Christians I knew could be content with so little of the world's goods. I sincerely trust that I am learning the secret. From what I see about me, I do not hesitate to say that it is a secret many Christians have yet to learn. I have learned to be content. Can I tell you why some folks have not learned to be content? They don't want to. They just simply don't want to. I have decided after 57 years, yeah, 57 years, think about that for a minute, of experience that some people just like being miserable. Oh, and let me add to that, and taking as many people with them as possible. to be content. I want to learn like Paul to be content. Paul lived in complete detachment from his circumstances. Put him in prison and he sang how great thou art. Put him on Mars Hill with a bunch of wacky philosophers and he sang how great thou art. Put him in the church in Ephesus he sang, How Great Thou Art. Throw rocks at him and run him out of the city. He sang, How Great Thou Art. Beat him with a whip. He sang, How Great Thou Art. Feed him, on his, feed him a steak. He sang, How Great Thou Art. Starve him. He sang, How Great Thou Art. Put him on a ship. He sang, How Great Thou Art. Sink the ship. He sang, How Great Thou Art. Paul was not a thermometer. Paul was a thermostat. Paul set the temperature in the room as he had learned to be content. Unshakable conviction, a revolution, an unmistakable reasonableness. Look at the next verse. Paul says this, I know both how to be abased and I know how to be uh, abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to bound and to suffer need. Listen, a lot of us know what it means to be abased. We may not use that word, 
But we know what it means to be broke. How's that? We know what it means to do without. Paul says, I know what it's like to do without and to be hungry. Listen, it's a... The word abased is a word that's used in other places to describe a river in a time of drought. We know what that's like. Most of us can identify with that. So Paul says, I I know how it is to run on empty. I know how it is to do without. And he says, uh, most of us have learned, here's the question, that uh, I saw somewhere, uh, and I wish I could remember where I read this uh, so I could give them credit for it, uh, says most of us have learned what it is to run low, but have we learned how to run low? Most of us have learned what it is to run low, but have we learned what it is to run, to how to run? Look what Paul says. Paul says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. You know, I don't watch much of it anymore. Like a lot of you, that's our ended when Earnhardt stopped, when he ended. But you know, I've never even ever run out of gas. My first car to gas hand didn't work. I had to keep an eye on the odometer to see how many miles I'd driven. Keep an eye on it. Most of us can run out of gas, but how many of you know how to run low? You know what that is, don't you? You see that? You know, if, you, if you ever watch NASCAR, you hear them they'll talk about it. How they're going around the track and then they'll cut the car off and coast, you know, like under caution. You know, they'll, they'll coast under caution. Yeah. I used to have a, that little straight drive car. And I learned from up about the grill, I could push in the clutch. I'd cut it off, and I'd coast all the way home. See, learn how to run on empty. Anybody in here know how to run on empty? Don back there in the kitchen. Don worked in kitchens all his life, all the way back to, to the military. Don, do you know how to run a kitchen when there's not much in the pantry? I've watched Don. Don will tell you, give me a tater and a cat, and I'll make you a ten-course meal. Yeah. Know how to run on empty. Paul says, I've learned how to be in that situation. I've learned how to do that. There's a, a, a reasonableness that Paul says here, I have been through life, and I have learned without panicking, without going crazy, without worrying myself to death. When I drove the Durango, when I had that car, right up on the thing, right up in front of your face, it'd tell you how many miles you could go to end. 
Whereas my wife, about half tanked, she starts panicking. I have left this place. Caleb will tell you. We have left this parking lot, headed home. It's, I think, 11 miles, depending on which way you go to my house from here. We have left here when that thing says zero DTE due to empty. Just drive. We'll be all right. If we run out, we run out. I'm not saying be careless. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's dumb. I, I mean, I, I know what it is in hindsight. Of course, I had Caleb to push, so I wasn't too worried. Paul wasn't saying I'm careless. Paul says, I've learned that in whatever shape I'm in, I'm going to be reasonable. I'm going to be reasonable. Elton Trueblood, great, great man. He was rocking on a porch one day in Colorado, and somebody walked up to him and said, Dr. Trueblood, what is the cease of happiness? And he looked at him and said, and? Solomon says it's a time to laugh and a time to cry. A time to live and a time to die. He says the secret to life is to learn to live right there in that sweet spot in the anger. Know that sometimes you laugh and sometimes you cry. But God is always on the field. says, I've learned that. Have we bigger question for many people is if they learn to face success. Paul says, I've learned to be abased a, a and abound. Hey, some people, as long as they broke, are right here every Sunday singing, oh, how I love Jesus. Give them a little money and a little time, and they own a boat at the lake and forgot all about how they love Jesus. Can we be reasonable in whatever situation we find ourselves in? And say, I'm going to trust God. And then finally, look what Paul says in this last verse, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Probably one of the most quoted, let me, let me, let me, pardon me. Probably one of the most misquoted verses in all of God's Word. I've heard... Even pagan athletes quote this verse for why they won a ball game. People take this verse, you know, you'll see it in weight rooms up over the weights. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like Jesus really cares how much you can bench press. People take that verse and tape it up places to give them inspiration so they can face the different challenges and difficulties of the day. And it's been put in posters. It's been needle-pointed. It's, it's just been slung everywhere. But it's been took out of the context here, unfortunately. Because Paul as he wrote this, he says, I can do anything through Christ that strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me.
of Christians have taken it to almost mean somehow they're Superman through this verse. But like every other passage of Scripture, I've got to tell you, it's controlled by its context. You can't take this verse out of the whole letter and build your theology around this verse. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, you've got to put it in the content of what he says. He says, in, uh, in whatever circumstances, whatever extremes, whatever situation, whether I'm experiencing abundance or whether I'm being abased, whether I'm wealthy or whether I'm living under a bridge somewhere, I can proclaim the gospel is what Paul is saying. No matter where I find myself, no matter what I find myself in, I can find, whether I find myself in prison, whether I find myself in the palace, I will be content. So you've got to attach, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me to the statement Paul just made about I've learned to be content. Because the question comes this morning, how in the world do you expect me to be content? We just had a death. I just lost my job. I just got a horrible doctor's report. I'm broke. How do you expect me to be content? I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I can put my faith. I can put my trust. I can put my confidence. I can rest in Jesus Christ. I can rely on Him. Even if I find myself abased. Even when I find myself in the drought. I can. And the question is, I can. And can you say, I will be content. I will not allow my circumstance, I will not allow my situation to rob me of the joy that God means me to have. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I know this morning in this room online there are people who are going through things I don't know about can't even begin to imagine there are some who are going through issues that I do know about but I know exactly what they're dealing with and I don't want you to think for a moment that I'm making light of your situation I've watched some of you go through circumstances and situations in your life that I'm pretty sure would have brought me in, down to my knees in a crying, puddling mush. But thank God for an unshakable conviction that says, through it all, through it all, through it all, I've learned 
through it all, I've learned. Father, I thank you today for your word. God, I pray that you'll touch hearts here this morning. God, teach us to be content. Give us a heart to be content. God, teach us we can rely on you. Whether we're abased or whether we abound. Whether we're in a drought or whether things are flourishing. God, teach us to learn to be content in you. That our circumstances don't dictate our attitude and our emotions, our feelings. Most of all, that our circumstances don't dictate our walk with you. God, stir hearts this morning. God, bring us to our knees. We pray, Lord, I want to learn to be content. Which in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand here. My life, my of my glory, my all. Wonderful master in joy and in strife, on him you do me call. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all.